coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Here we are again, a football field, someone kneeling, taking a knee, whether they're praying or whether they're protesting. Here America goes again down this bunny trail. I started thinking about prayer in school, mm. how we've kind of banned it. And uh, uh, and I, I think that, I think prayer is an important part of people's lives whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, but we've got to figure some way to find common ground on that. That's amazing. But I think, yeah, that you hit it right on the head. Like when we're trying to reach out and be broader, we, we got to think about everybody. Democracy is fragile. Bill, I didn't realize how fragile democracy was because I came up challenging the system because the system said I was less than as a person. Respect the other person's point of view, whether or not you agree with it. Recognize that if it had, if you had their history, their circumstances and forces that play on them, you would likely have their point of view. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black, and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for this great country we live in that we call the United States of America. God is not perfect. We didn't say thank you for this perfect country we live in. We say thank you for this great country we live in. God, like many other great empires, we know that in time, everything changes. And for those who survive, it's more flexible to change with the time. If not, you become extinct. So God, thank you for leaders who can change with the time, who understand that this democracy is very fragile, God. God, we pray for those in Ukraine who says they wanted democracy. But at the same time, God, they're seeing how fragile it is. God, sometimes our enemies come from afar. Other times our enemies come from within. So God, protect us from our enemies, whether they come from afar or they form from within, that we can always continue to say we love you and thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for the blessings you've given our families, our guest family. Thank you for the friendship that uh, the three of us have developed. Uh, Lord, uh, we ask that uh, you you give 
blessings and safety to all the folks in Ukraine and all the helpers that are in the countries around it that are taking in refugees. Uh, we know there's a lot of suffering going on. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that, uh, that the United States step up and, and defend the Ukraines and provide them what they need so they can defend themselves. Uh, and Lord, uh, thank you for uh, my friendship with Joshua and my friendship with uh, Odell. Amen. God, in, in your wisdom, you created us and gave us different paths to you. Let us all grow in appreciation of those divergent and unique paths that bring us to you, as I imagine you must be of them as well. Let us grow in our appreciation of each other, the ways that we can inform and strengthen one another, and how our traditions can learn from one another. And of course, as Bill and Odell both said so powerfully and beautifully, please be on the side and strengthen those in Ukraine and around the world who put their lives on the line in the defense of democracy and freedom and the values that we, we all cherish. Let us say amen to that one. Amen. 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 Right. Odell, how you doing? Bill, Bill, Bill. Rabbi, 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 <laughs> guess what happened? The good-looking black man has lost close to 16 pounds. Don't hate the player, hate the game, baby. Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> so, Bill, you know, and it's interesting, on a more serious note, here we are again, a football field, someone kneeling, taking a knee, whether they're praying or whether they're protesting, here America goes again down this bunny trail. I understand Colin Kaepernick. I understand now is this new, uh, this young man who's a teacher, who's a coach. Um, it's a lot of stuff going on on this football fields and kneeling and praying. What's what? Aren't we dealing with the Supreme Court now, Bill? Aren't we dealing with Supreme Court now, Rabbi? I believe yeah. we are. I believe we are. The uh, there was a ruling on that uh, that uh, that came out. Well, they haven't ruled on it. They were just. They were listening to the arguments, correct? Yeah, they, hear, they heard the, the arguments yeah. uh, yesterday or the day before. Well, let's, let's introduce that other voice that just came on, the good-looking Jewish rabbi that we have with us. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and his wife's, wife's away in Israel. His son's in Israel. His kids are at college, so he's batching it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So this is Joshua, Rabbi Joshua Ben Gideon, uh, and, uh, and he is uh, the rabbi. Rabbi, why don't you tell us a little of your background? Thank you. Um, and I just, I'm so appreciative and thankful for the, the learning that I get to do with both of you and from both of you. Your wisdom is so helpful to me and uh, the friendship and the, that, that we have and, and how we, we can build things together. Um, so I, I come from upstate New York near Albany uh, and grew up pretty secular. I knew I was, which is uh, not to say I wasn't Jewish. I always knew I was Jewish. It was always part of that identity of mine, but not in a religious home and not really in a religious setting. And that's something I've come to um, more as an adult, teenager and then adult. Um, I have been a rabbi now for close to 
uh, 20 years. I was an assistant rabbi in Fairfax, Virginia, then a solo in Madison, Wisconsin for practically a decade, and now uh, blessed to be here in Greensboro for uh, just about five years. Uh, and really loving the environment, the people, the culture, um, and the sense of connection and community people have here, um, especially through re their religious communities. Uh, and got three kids, as you, you said so nicely, and my wife is a, a brilliant, brilliant woman and also a rabbi, um, a great teacher who I learned tremendous things from, and uh, just blessed to be here and be able to serve and continue to grow. Uh, it's you know, great. Okay. Interesting you would say that, Bill. I was thinking about one thing, two things. First thing, I can't be eating fried food with you anymore, Bill. So the fried chicken and stuff is out, Bill. I can't be eating with you. I got to watch my figure as I continue to, you well, know. Well, you can watch uh, me eat it, right? right? You can watch me <laughs> yeah, eat it, right? I, yes, thank you. I could write, watch you eat it, but I thought about something else too. Years ago, when I was a very young pastor, um, you know, really just getting on the scenes, I was doing a lot of community events and I was praying. And I remember getting a, a it wasn't a phone call, but it was a call from the United Way of Greater Greensboro at the time. Uh, everybody know the United Ways. And Neil Belenke was the president at the time, and Neil was Jewish. And someone, somehow, through a friend of mine, the word got to me say, oh, no, we would love for you to pray. We love all the things you're doing. But could you please not end the prayer in Jesus name? Now, it's called ecumenical prayer. At first, when I got it, it hit me like. I'm not, I, I cannot not say a prayer that doesn't end in Jesus name. I dare him ask me to do that and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then some people came to me and. I, you know, you always need wisdom. You always need older people you could talk to. And I talked to some older people and they said, oh, no, 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 he wasn't being offensive. He's saying that if you're in a public square and it's a lot of other religions and faiths and beliefs in the square, mm -hmm. be open to the fact that everyone doesn't believe the same way, not that they don't believe that they come from a different perspective. So respect them. And, you know, I was still young and immature, so I pouted about it a little while. Then I agreed that, you know what? Yes, I would do it. I understood it. And so I started this prayer, like, um, when I get started, I said, I like to invite, when you're in the public square, people from all over, hundreds of people at the Greensboro Coliseum, I would like to invite you all to join me in a prayer in whatever custom, tradition, or culture that you're most comfortable with as I pray in the custom tradition and culture that I'm most comfortable with. And I said my prayer, I didn't end it in Jesus name. I know, I know some of my hardcore folks, I know y'all gonna send me to hell already. I know, but it's okay. But listen to me before you judge me. Mm. And I remember after that, I was leaving and some people came up to me and said, thank you. And I'm like, thank, thank, thank me for what? He said, because you didn't exclude us from your prayer. You, you invited us to participate and you allowed us to participate in the prayer. You didn't exclude us. And I'm like, that's the lesson, God. That's the lesson you were trying to teach the good looking black guy. So, you know, common ground is we teach each other and learn from each other because, and, and, and what, what the guy told me later on is like, listen, if you're in your church or it's no, that's no issue. But when you invite people in a 
public setting and a public arena, be mindful of that. And a lot of times we're not mindful of other people. And that's the beautiful thing, Bill, we talk about all the time, because, you know, I'm just I'm just sold out on it. The whole interfaith trip when we go to Israel together and, and people believe one way and some other people believe another way and some other people don't believe at all. And we all just go together and process it together without trying to indoctrinate, um, evangelize or any of that stuff. We're just people, Bill. People, people, people. But just by the way, one thing I need the two of you all to understand, I'm still a good looking black guy. And getting thinner and getting thinner. Absolutely. You know, I think um, Odell, you hit the nail right on the head and I'm reminded of some learning I got from uh, some rabbis about 25 years ago. They wanted to understand why some of these mega churches were so successful. What were they doing that brought people in? And they went to Rick Warren's church, you know, the purpose-driven guy, purpose-driven church guy. And they observed some things about being welcoming and making people feel welcomed and included. And one of the things they noticed was that there was no cross on the, um, the altar, on, on, the, on the stage. Nothing, nothing like obviously Christian. And they asked them about it. He said, well, we, we found out that first time comer, people, comers, people who are coming for the first time, that that made them feel uncomfortable. And we said, well, what's our, what's our mission? Is our mission to have a cross on the altar or is our mission to make those people feel welcome and included? And so they got rid of it. And that's in their sanctuary, which mm. is like, that's, that's amazing. But I think, yeah, that you hit it right on the head. Like when we're trying to reach out and be broader, we, we got to think about everybody. Well, let me tell you a story. I, I was uh, there, I was doing a Bible study with a bunch of high school kids. And uh, by the way, folks, if you hear birds in the background, the rabbi's outside and, yeah. and the birds are going. So um, the, uh, and we're all jealous. Can you sit out there? The, uh, um, this was in California and uh, it was an inner city church. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't black Odell. It was just a group of people that had an inner city church. And, uh, uh, the pastor, I think it was Oriental, and um, he knew uh, he knew there were gangs in the area, and you know he tried reaching out to him. And uh, one day, one of the leaders of one of the gangs showed up and sat in the back of his church, and he was like, "Holy cow!" And uh, he went to go say hi to him, and the guy left. And uh, the next service Sunday, he was back again, sitting in the back. He went to go see him; he was gone. So third Sunday he showed up and this time he excused himself and went and talked to him because <laughs> he wanted to know what's, you know, can I help you? And he goes, well, I've, I've been listening to your sermons and they're feeding my soul and I want more. And he said, okay, would you do me a favor and not leave before so I can come and maybe you and I go get some coffee after this or lunch and talk. So he, he did. And over a period of time, maybe a year, uh, this, this gang member uh, converted to Christianity and got, and got baptized. And, uh, and then he came for a couple weeks and then maybe three or four weeks and then he disappeared. He didn't show up. And he, the pastor called him and called him and called him, no response. And then 
about six months later, the guy shows up in the back of the church again. And uh, the pastor was able to catch him and said, you know, man, I got to tell you, I was worried about you. I thought something happened to you. You know, where were you for six months? And he goes, well, you know, when I got converted to Christianity and I got baptized, uh, I had certain expectations that I had when we had our gangs. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, well, when you become initiated to a gang, they take care of your mother. They take care of you. They make sure you got food, that you have health care. They, they come and surround you. And they're constantly asking, what else can they do? Mm. He said, I was expecting the same kind of response from the Christians. Mm. And I got nothing. So I had to recalibrate. Did I make the right decision? And was this the right group for me? Because it certainly wasn't as good as the gangs were doing. Now, the gangs done a lot of bad stuff. He said, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to glorify gangs, he said. But I was expecting that, that kind of uh, fellowship. And so the pastor, it really hit him. And he did a whole series on stepping into people. And he used this as an example. And it changed the whole complexion of the church. They started thinking differently. And, uh, you know, going back to um, In Jesus' Name, you know, I, the, I, I try not to pray that way. Uh, and some people say, well, that's the magic term you got to use. Otherwise it doesn't work or something. I don't know. But what I do do is, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic. So there's a, all kinds of things, sign of the cross and holy water uh, and all kinds of stuff. And I try and stay away from that. I kind of look at the individual, you know, you're a Baptist minister and Jewish rabbi and, I'm, I'm, you know, evangelical, I guess, Christian, uh, but it, we don't get into the space that we get each other uncomfortable. We try and stay in the space that we can communicate and share each other's fellowship and share each other's families and our personalities and our time together. Mm-hmm. And we don't get hung up on things that we know might offend us. Okay. Uh, and uh, I try not to do that. And uh, I know Joshua does, and I know Odell does. Um, but I got to tell you a funny story, Josh. You invited yeah, yeah. us to the temple. Uh, I think we were going to go to your house for Shabbat. So we went to the temple service before. And uh, I was sitting there with Dory. And I was looking around. It's a beautiful, beautiful synagogue. And, uh, and you know, it has Jewish uh, Hebrew words up that I don't, I don't know what they mean, but I'm, uh, someday you'll have to interpret them for me. And, okay, you know, a lot of a lot of people in congregation don't aren't too familiar with it. Either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well that's that's good. There's a lot of Latin stuff in Catholics they don't know either. And uh, but the, you know I'm sitting there looking at it, and you know you're trying to absorb uh, the spirituality of it and what it's looking at. And I bumped my wife, and I said, you know, I noticed something very very obvious. And she she leans into me. And she, I said, what? Well, I, I don't see a crucifix here. <laughs> I thought she was going to kick me out of the synagogue. She said, shut up. And she nailed me with her elbow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, one of the stories from our family that really illustrates this issue a little bit um, comes from when we were in Wisconsin and my daughter, one of my daughters was in the middle school chorus. So, it was time for the holiday concert, which let's be honest, we call it a holiday concert, but it's a Christmas concert. No, sure. and we should not call it a Christmas concert because, you know, five Christmas carols and a Hanukkah song doesn't make it a holiday concert. And that's fine because, 
most of the people there are doing Christmas. It's, you know, yeah, we can, we, I think we confuse a lot of different issues. Right. Um, and you know, if it was singing Frosty, the snowman or, uh, or jingle, jingle bells, bells, yeah, it'd be whatever, like that's, you know, whatever Lena would feel comfortable with, we let her do. Right. But the, uh, the chorus instructor wanted or actually had them do a piece. I, I forget who is the composer, but it was of the Catholic mass in Latin. Holy cow. Right. In which they would be singing about Jesus being the lamb of God, as I understood it. And we were like, uh, no, right. That's a little, that's just not appropriate because you're putting words in her mouth that she doesn't herself believe. And that actually not only doesn't believe not to, it's not that they're bad words it's that they counter or go against some of the things that she does believe. Um, so there was a bit of a little storm about that. It was interesting that the chorus instructor himself said, well, I'm a lapsed Catholic and if I can do it, why can't she? Um, not quite understanding the story, but the other thing that was interesting was that some of the Jewish parents didn't want us to make a, a, a scene about it. Didn't want us to say anything. They didn't want to like cause tension or, or create a problem. And, you know, I think we see that, that there's a difference between uh, the school or a government establishing a religion Right? That's one thing. And our freedom to practice our religion, which is a separate thing. And sometimes they come into tension with one another, right? So he was, the, the chorus instructor was having them do it in, a, in his mind in a secular way, but it was going to interfere with her freedom to practice her religion. And uh, that was where the, the, the problem came about. So uh, in the end, it, it worked out fine. The principal intervened and, and uh, they didn't sing that. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was illustrative for us of some of those tensions and issues um, that, that kind of get, that come into play. Hmm. And I, I think that it also illustrates something I think that's really important, which is, you know, growing up here as a minority, in, uh, as a religious minority, where you know, I, I grew up, like, you know, at a time that was different when it, it was the Christmas concert and it was, you know, all Christmas carols and that was fine. Um, but as a minority, not to feel um, offended and also not to think that the only way minorities can be respected is if the majority doesn't express itself, right? If, if the only way that I, as a Jew, can be comfortable in the public environment is if the majority culture, which tends to be, you know, kind of Christian dominated and, and themed, um, has to be silent. I think that's just, that's not right. Too, yeah. That's a bridge too far, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm all for us all expressing ourselves and having the freedom to carry out our religious tradition and to do it 
um, in public, but to be careful as, uh, as Odell said so beautifully before, not to be in any way coercing others on that path, right? Mm. And not to be putting those words in other people's mouths um, at the wrong moment. Mm. I agree. You know, I, yeah, I, I came across a quote from Warner Earhart, who's a kind of a modern day philosopher. And he, he said, uh, respect the other person's point of view, whether or not you agree with it. Recognize that if it had, if you had their history, their circumstances and forces that play on them, you would likely have their point of view. And, you know, it made me think about uh, the fellow that kneeled at the center of the, uh, the Supreme Court a case that's in front of them, uh, where he kneeled in center football field and, and prayed and he got fired for it. And uh, there's a lot, there's a bunch of backstories on it. So it's, it, that's the, that's the top line. But um, I started thinking about prayer in school, mm. how we've kind of banned it. And, uh, uh, and I, I think that I think prayer is an important part of people's lives, whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, you know, obviously you're agnostic and stuff. You got, you're coming from a different point, but we've got to figure some way to find common ground on that. Uh, and, you know, you want to protect the minorities, but you, you don't want to um, limit something that's good, which I think is good. I think prayer is good in your own style and your own way. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there is a Supreme being. Okay. No doubt about it. I mean, you, you have to be crazy not to recognize this. Look up at the stars at night, not in the city. <laughs> you can't see them all. But, you know, so I think I think we got to figure a way to get back to that and uh, and, and bring the kids in into it. And, uh, you know, there's something said about morality and teaching them that as well. Um, and we've kind of gotten away from a lot of that. You know, there's a, everybody has their own reason why, but uh, we need to fix it. We need to figure out how to fix that. And I don't know the answer, you know, but mm-hmm. I do know one answer. We can pray for it. Yes, absolutely. Well, it, it's setting the example, really, isn't it? And I think Odell would agree with me as a, a pulpit clergy person that, you know, we are willing to use a lot of different incentives to encourage people to come to church or to synagogue. Right. Um, we have a, a lovely luncheon or we have uh, different aesthetic things. We, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of things to make the experience of going attractive and to bring them in. Right. Um, but in a, in a school, right, in a school setting, we have to be really careful. And this, this is also something I observed in at a, a different school, a different high school in Wisconsin, just down the street from uh, where we were. Uh, there was a. He, this one school, they had a huge lunch gathering for prayer, um, for Christian prayers, evangelical Christian prayer. And um, the idea of it was that, oh, the kids are just leading it. It's just the, the kids are doing it. And it's just that powerful that, you know, literally a couple hundred kids gather for this. Uh, but what they, they weren't sharing was that there were, or they weren't making as obvious, is that there were parents who were on the edge, they couldn't be on the school grounds, but they were at the edge and they sponsored um, bratwursts, 
roasting and different things to get for free lunch to get kids to come. Right. So, and the only way you could get that free lunch is if you came to the prayer. Mm. Wow. Right. So, you know, whether it was the legal question, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer and not a constitutional expert, but on the face of it, it just looked like that's not just a case of some kids who decide they want to pray and have a good group going and kind of build that themselves and kind of make that the thing. This seemed to be kind of using that as a justification for kind of getting them to the adults and the adults doing these things that went beyond that to get more and more kids um, to participate. And I, I knew Jewish kids who would go cause they wanted the, uh, the free lunch. Yeah. But you know, Dell's on a diet, so he couldn't go, but I'd certainly go. Hit the bratwurst. Hey, hey, listen, listen. Um, you're absolutely right. But you know, when you think about this and you think about the way I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, um, very strong custom tradition and culture, especially when it's wrapped in religion. Um, it's been crosses burned on people's front lawns, and it's like a cross, you know, a cross burning. So, and that's someone's religion, right? But think about this, Pledge of Allegiance. We were taught in school, Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We had prayer in school. This is every morning, guys. This is every morning. You knew the routine, had the prayer, okay? Um, then we sung the song, America, America. You know, we, we did that. And then we did this other one, didn't do it every day, but we used to take something called a music class. And I remember, and just imagine Odell, young Odell, just singing his heart out, it was a call, a song called uh, We Are Good Sandlappers. And it goes like this. And I just, I laugh now when I think about it, but I would cry if my grandson was doing it. We are good sandlappers. Yes, we are good sandlappers. And we are mighty proud to say that we live. Yes, we live in the very fine state, the very fine state in the country, USA. And then it says, we love those fields of cotton. On bright September morn, we love South Carolina, the place where we were born. And that born, you hit that born, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there saying, young Black, screaming, yelling, excited about singing. We love those fields of cotton on bright September morn. Wow. Now, now, if you want to be to the point of saying, well, wait a minute, Odell, you you just offended by everything and you could get offended by everything. Well, People got very offended when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, right? Mm -hmm. Grown man took a knee, didn't try to get anybody else to do it with him, but took a knee, said, well, he took it, Odell, with the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Now, this young man, the coach who's in the Supreme Court, that the decision's coming down, I don't know that he take a knee or that he put down one knee to pray or whatever, but it's like, okay, now we're dealing with that, but I think we're looking at it from a different perspective as his right to versus Colin Kaepernick's right not to, because Colin was offending so many veterans and offending so many people by taking the knee. And you ask him, why did you take the knee? What's the meaning behind the knee? And he says, I'm protesting um, brutality around African-American community. That's all I'm doing. No, we don't like that answer. We don't like that answer. You mm -hmm. are doing this. And we had the president of the United States of America and the vice president of the United States of America say, yes, that's wrong. 
Uh, I remember when the Vice President Pence walked out of an NFL game in protest, what I thought was just a political stunt, to be honest with you. And I think Pence is a good man, a good Christian man, but even Christians make mistakes. And so sometimes when things get politicized and it becomes a political football, which I think what's going on right now in the Supreme Court justice, we have a political football, it don't always make sense. And I wonder, we say as Christians, what would Jesus do? I think Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with some of this nonsense we're doing down here. Yeah. As, as Bill was saying, like there's a lot involved in this case. And if it were just simply the coach taking a knee and praying, nobody would have batted an eyelash, but there's a lot more history going on. For example, he started out as I understand it, uh, praying with the whole team in the locker room before the game. Right, so the kids, everybody was included, whether they wanted to be or not. And um, that the school told him was, you know, off limits. And he went with that. He recognized that. But then he did. He's done other things along the way. And it's kind of confused. You know, there's a lot of things going on. And, you know, a coach, I don't know about you, but like I played football. I wrestled. I played baseball. There wasn't a match or a game where at the end, the team gathers together around the coach for some words of wisdom or for right. something about the end of the game, right? right? So if he's doing that as the coach at the end of the game and all the kids are going to want to gather around him because they want affirmation, they want connection, they want something about their play to learn, to feel good about what happened or to, to know what they're going to do next, then that's when it gets, again, confused, right? Because well, are they there as, uh, as athletes with their coach or are they there like as people who want to pray with, uh, with this, uh, with this person who wants to pray. Right. And you it, talk about, and you talk about confused and Bill, and let me tell you all a quick story. When I played high school ball, basketball, we had great teams and I had a coach, good old, good old, good old boy coach. And we didn't always like each other first because of reasonable differences, but he would pray before every game and then cuss everybody out, cuss the referees out, cuss us out, <laughs> cuss us out in practice. But he prayed though. He prayed for every game and then he cuss everybody out if, if things didn't go. If you remember Bobby Knight type oh, yeah. coach, that that's who he was, but he prayed, then he cussed everybody out. Did he do it in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Bill, Bill, you know what? That is great. A sense of humor. I don't remember him ever saying the name of Jesus, but he threw his pad down and he benched Odell and we would just be stubborn. But I loved him, though. I loved him. And the crazy thing about it, he, he was my high school coach. We won state championships. Then my college coach, he recruited me and we won a national championship. And I remember... At the end of the day, years later, I did his eulogy. I did his eulogy. So yeah. it's common ground there. We could love, we could hate, we could fuss, we could agree to disagree. But he loved winning and I love winning. And all the anger I had in me as a young kid, I was able to kind of work through that. But Bill, he you know? prayed, he cussed, and he threw um, clipboards and he kicked me out of the gym and everything. And maybe he did it in the name of Jesus. I don't know, my friend, but I well, love know, you, Bill. And that think, was a good one. You know, I think uh, when he's up at the pearly gates and Peter meets him at the pearly gates, he's Peter's going to go, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> 
the, uh, Hey, listen, I want to go back to column. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't have an issue with him uh, protesting what he did. My issue is doing it when the flag is being honored and all the people that died for the flag. So for me, that's a difficult thing to, to deal with because I view the flag as pretty sacred. Uh, Growing up as a boy scout, you know, we're taught not to let it touch the ground. We're taught how to retire it properly. So it's respect for those people that have died and and served our country. Um, And so I, I, it, to me, it was showing disrespect to that. And, and I, and I, I, as opposed to a protest and that's, that's where I had a hard time with it. And, and I think probably a lot of Americans felt the same way and that's why he's probably not playing football. You know, I, I think though, that's a really good observation. And I would suggest we also use that lens to look at this football coach perhaps, which is that I, I have, at least from what I've read and heard and I've, I've listened to a little bit of him speaking about his journey and what he's trying to do with his, with his uh, athletes, his student athletes, he has the best of intentions. He is trying to guide them and teach them. He wants to be in that coach. You know, he wants to be their mentor and he wants to have that beautiful relationship. And for him, prayer is a part of it. And I think for, for Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, he's got the experience of being um, a black man in America and the symbol of the flag, which is, you know, we, we have to remember that we treat it that way. I agree with you, Bill. We need to, I, I like, I treated the flag with as much respect as I am aware of how to do, you know, as I, I haven't been trained quite as a, as a scout. I don't have that expertise and I wasn't in a service, but I do try to respect it in all those ways because of this, of the values and the, the things that it represents. Um, right. But it's, but it's also still a symbol and it has to be able to represent these other things as well, right? It has to represent the freedom to disrespect it because that's what our country stands for. It has to represent the freedom to scream at it and yell and be, and, and, and be upset by it. Um, and I think that with the example of Colin Kaepernick, you can say, and I totally understand why that just doesn't feel appropriate for us. I wouldn't protest in that way myself, but I've never walked, you know, I haven't even approached putting my foot in one of his shoes, let alone walk a step in his shoes. Right. And, and similarly, I, I, so I think that I can't, it's hard to judge him for making that the stand that he wanted to make. Um, and with this coach, I think also when people come at it from a different perspective, right, the criticism is going to come more from a secular perspective of not appreciating his journey and what he's trying to do, but seeing it only as a political thing, right. Only as a symbol and not looking beyond it to see what's really trying, what is he trying to do with what's really going on. Um, so I try to appreciate both of them for what they're bringing to the table and what they're trying to share. Um, even if in both cases we might be you know, critical or not agree with it being the right way f- that we would go. Hmm. I agree. And to Bill's point, that's why he's not in the, in, the, in the NFL, but let's be clear. The NFL settled with him. He sued the NFL yep. and the NFL settled with him 
So it's not that he was wrong. It's just to Bill's point, he got punished yes. for what he did. Now, it's interesting, doing all that time with Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter and everybody, freedom of speech, I remember being in a lot of events, Bill, and I think I was in one Boy Scout event, and we did the Pledge of Allegiance and everything, and I felt like every, and this is just me, I know it's not true, but, you know, I felt like every eye was on me because I was on the stage because that was the time it was like everybody, not everybody, many Black people would take a knee and protest. It's like, okay, is he going to take a knee or is he going to put his hand over his heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance? And of course, I said the Pledge of Allegiance, not for any other reason other than it was my right to do and it was my right not to do. And I chose to do, if that makes sense. And uh, what was the name of the young guy, guys? You all may know he was the rapper at the Super Bowl. Uh, white gentleman. He was a rapper. He took oh, Eminem. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We and according to all reports, they said, "Don't take a knee. Don't take a knee." And Eminem was like, "Listen, I got the mic. I'm gonna take a knee." So back to the Supreme Court justice, and back to these young folks trying to make a difference in this great country of ours. Hmm. But I always say, and even now, more than anything, since the Ukraine thing, democracy is fragile. Bill, I didn't realize how fragile democracy was because I came up challenging the system because the system said I was less than as a person. The system said go around the back. The system said integration, all those things. And I'm like, but that's not true. That's not true. So I had to challenge that wasn't wasn't that which wasn't true. Mm. And so they said, sing the Pledge of Allegiance. We did. Put your hand across the heart. We did. We love those fields of cotton on bright September morns. We did. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't agree with all that now, but that was then. This is now. And here we are. Love having the conversation. Bill, what say you, my friend? Well, you know, you, you hit on something that, that jogged my mind. You know, you said, you know, when you were growing up, you, you were you were thought of a lesser person that you could yes. use certain doors. I would not have been a good black man. Because I'd have gotten angry. I would have gotten very angry over that because that to me is just smacks of, uh, well, prejudice isn't a strong enough word, but it's just, it's just dehumanizing. And, uh, and so I would have, I probably would have gotten myself in trouble, quite frankly. So, um, you know, if I put that lens on, I go, holy cow, how would I react if someone tried to say, you can't drink from that water fountain or you can't sit at this lunch counter? Mm. And uh, I, I would not have done well with that. Uh, Bill, you, you may not have been a good black person, but it was systemic. It was so systemic that in certain parts of the South, they would kill you, Bill. They would literally lynch you. The word picnic is pick a N word. And it would be a public spectacle where they would come and get you because the system was so strong, Bill, that mm. they had to protect it at all means necessary. So they would have killed you, mm. literally. So the question is, mm -hmm. does one try to survive or does one try to get along to get along? Don't know, because people question me about my ancestors who cooked biscuits for the clan and everything else, you know, all this, and didn't leave when they killed the most prominent black man in Abbeville, South Carolina. Half the blacks left, half of them stayed. And people are like, well, why did you stay? You must have been Uncle Tom for staying. 
No, 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 it's not that simple. It's not that black and white. So it's very complicated. It's all kind of relationships going on. So yes, Bill, yes, thank you. It's more complicated than that. That's why this issue of the gentleman kneeling is more complicated. And the good thing about it is we're talking with each other instead of talking past or yelling at each other. But Bill, I'm afraid if you was a black man, you would take all the black women. So you were too oh. good looking. You would take all the women, Bill. <laughs> you were the Afro. You would take all the women, Bill. Well, you know what I, I probably would have done is now I think of it, I'd probably been a distiller. Make some good bourbon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, Odell, one of the things I've learned about since I uh, arrived in North Carolina is uh, the talk that yes. uh, that every uh, black parent has with their son when they get to a certain age about how they have to protect their life and be careful if they're pulled over by the police or if they get into a confrontation. And that brought home something to me that I had not appreciated to that degree or that depth before. And I think if any of us who are white or can pass for white or don't, don't have that challenge, that, that burden and that pain and that anxiety in them, if we can connect and understand that, like what it means for our children to be at risk and to feel like when they go out that they are more exposed to danger and violence than other children, I think then we can understand different perspectives a lot better, right? So I can, um, I can really understand more um, a lot of the protests and uh, around policing and the need for policing to change in this country not to be unfunded, not to be, not to go away because um, that wouldn't be helpful either, but to change, to change. The only way we're going to do that is by changing ourselves, right? By changing the attitudes we have in ourselves, as you said so beautifully at the beginning, Odell, in your prayer, right? That sometimes it comes from without and sometimes it comes from within, Um but if we can learn to appreciate the experience that other people have, right, then we can see them for who they are and what they're saying and get beyond the symbol and get beyond the politics. Well said. You know, we're getting toward the end, Joshua and Odell. And Joshua, you, you have a two-minute video that you, you put out on YouTube. Uh, explain that, and we're going to play, uh, after you explain it, that that two-minute audible of that uh, YouTube video. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I know in a lot of Christian traditions, there's a, a lectionary, right? Where you have different uh, verses from different scriptures that you, you focus on week after week. And in Judaism, it's, it's similar, but a little different, which is we take the Torah, the five books of Moses um, at the beginning of the Hebrew Bible and they're split up into portions that we read each week. And we just go through them every year, repeating, you know, kind of repeating the cycle year in and year out. 
And those are supposed to be the focus of our teaching and our study each week. So um, my goal is to give something connected to the, the Torah portion in, uh, in two minutes or less uh, that people can take away and, and, and think about or be inspired by, um, even if they don't make it to the synagogue uh, on a Shabbat for services. So um, that's the inspiration behind it. It's just a way of connecting and, 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 and being with people, even when I'm not physically with them. And I'm blessed to have a, a great producer and uh, Jenny Kaiser. She is terrific. Amazing. Yeah, she's That's gifted great. and talented and dedicated. Um, she makes me look much better. Um, <laughs> but really, you know, that challenge of, of saying something in two minutes is, uh, has been a great one. I really appreciate it. Um, so I do one every week and you can find them now. She just put the, the link uh, right on our website which is uh, BethDavidSynagogue.org. And uh, they're also on our YouTube channel. Uh, that's what it connects you to. But every week, uh, a two-minute uh, thought, a two-minute uh, teaching to kind of connect with where we are in the Hebrew Bible that week and where we are in life. And the one we're going to play here is about memories. Yeah, so this one's a little actually out. It's, it's ironic, right? It's, it's the one that we're going to, you want to play is out of, out of that sink a little bit in that it's more about uh, the holiday that we just celebrated, which is Passover. So on certain holidays in the Jewish tradition, on our most sacred or most serious day, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, um, and on the three uh, biblical pilgrimage holidays, uh, which we call Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot in Hebrew, but you might know them as, well, Passover, that's more well-known. Um, I think Sukkot, I mean, Shavuot is the next one. It's about seven weeks later. I think it's known as maybe Pentecost because it's seven weeks later. Yep, um, and, or the, 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 the Feast of First Fruits or the Holiday of First Fruits. And Sukkot is in the fall. It's right after Yom Kippur. It's the Harvest Festival. It's the the festival of booths, right? So on each of those uh, four day, four holidays, at some point, um, as you know, like holidays, they bring forth memories of how we've celebrated them in the past. And so often when we do it right, that's rooted in family, right? The traditions we get handed down uh, by our parents or our grandparents, aunts and uncles, um, and that we're handing down to, to our children. So, um, Yizkor, the prayer that I'm talking about, is a moment during the service where that's the focus, where we're thinking about memory, we're thinking about our connection to our loved ones, and uh, how that shapes us and how we shape them. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that overview. Odell, um, the, uh, you got anything to add before we ask Josh? Yeah, just, just want to add one thing, Bill. Uh, Rabbi, how do you feel about us stealing all your stuff? Meaning that as Christians, we've stole every holiday you all have. We steal it. We rename it Christmas. We rename it Easter. We mm. rename it Thanksgiving. We steal all your stuff. And then we're like, we didn't steal it. You know we stole it. You know we stole it. How do you feel about it? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we think about it, I guess. Um, I'll tell you, the only time I get upset or that it, it disturbs me I want to 
uh, bring a quote that I always think of, which is from the artist Pablo Picasso. He said, great artists steal, they don't borrow, right? <laughs> don't kind of like borrow it and kind of, you know, and just be lazy. You got to steal it. You got to make it your own. <laughs> and then it can be great art, right? So I right. think it, in, in the idea that everything in Judaism came only from Judaism is also wrong. There are things that we've taken from other places. I think the thing that we have a, a problem with um, and we, this is, we can think about this in a universal way, is when any of us, Jews, Christians, or Muslims, think of ourselves and how we do what we do as reaction to the other. Right. Right. I am not a Jew better with God because I don't believe in Jesus or because I don't do this thing that Muslims do, right? But one of the challenges of Christian theology is that Jews play a role in the Christian story, mm-hmm. right? And it's one where what the Jews do is the wrong thing right? in history. Now, I got to tell you, like my own tradition, we reinterpret it, we move on beyond what our ancestor did. So what we do today is not, uh, it's based in, it's connected to what happened um, a thousand or 2000 years ago, but it's not the same thing. You know, we've reinterpreted and moved on. Um, and the danger is when we start to say, ah, the Jew is the other, right? Right. And the Jew or what Judaism is, is the example of what not to do versus what we do. No, that's not true. Right. Yeah, and I, I think agree. I disagree with that with you. And I think in, we see that also in, in Islam. I've heard this uh, in interfaith dialogue where um, Muslims will be critical of Christians and they'll say, we're true monotheists because it's Allah. Whereas in Christianity, you have different names for God or you view it differently, right? So that makes you not really monotheists and they're saying they're better. Um, I think that's done in, in innocence, but at the same time, it's dangerous. And what we have to do is have our faith be within us and come from within and from the strength of our tradition um, and be able to talk with other people about what their experience is and how their tradition is different than ours while not feeling like it's in any way a judgment of ours. Yes, I agree. You know, and and I see that, you know, a lot of my family's Catholic, Roman Catholic. And it, well, like I have a brother that when he comes to visit, he has got to go to church, the Roman Catholic church. And to prove that he went to church, he has to get the bulletin and take it home to his wife. Uh, and, uh, and the, uh, you know, and I don't mock him on that. I don't bust on that on him. Uh, that's his thing. And yeah. he, you know, he realizes that if he doesn't go to church on Sunday, it's a mortal sin. You go to hell. Uh, and you get, you know, I have another cousin that signed at a cross means that he does that a lot. And then another one that I, I remember seeing him go and get in communion and he folds his hands like a steeple and it's just really strict and you don't move it. And it was the way he was taught maybe by the nuns. I don't know. And, you know, all these traditions that people have and I'm, I'm not going to, do I find some of those different? Oh, absolutely. Uh, but do I feel I have the right to criticize them or even condemn them? Heck no. 
that's what is important. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. Right? We were, and then we'll have to close this out. But I, uh, when I was growing up, my grandma uh, kept uh, holy oil and holy water and holy candles in her house. So if the priest ever came, she'd have her little kit. Well, the holy water she would keep in the refrigerator in a jug and the oil and the candles she kept on a shelf. Well, my dad and I were doing work at her house. We had to dig a ditch and uh, through the street. It was one hot summer day and we would go in and we'd see this big jug of ice water and we'd help ourselves to it. And then we'd fill part of it up or all the way up. And we did that for about three days. And one day we're sitting there and we come in and grandma's sitting at the kitchen table and uh, we, we go open up the refrigerator and we get ourselves our glasses and we start pouring this water. And she goes, what are you guys doing? And I said, we're getting ourselves some ice water. She says, no, no, that's holy water. She says, oh my gosh, I called the priest. I thought I had a miracle in my refrigerator. It was going down <laughs> every day. It was changing. And she says, I got to call him back. She says, I, she, I said, is, are we in trouble? She says, no, I think you have a holy stomach now. Oh, <laughs> and Odell, oh. that's that's why Bill can eat the fried food and not gain the weight. Yeah, there you go. That's it. I got Listen, a holy stomach. The, it's got a hole in what? it. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna leave that alone because I love this conversation. I love the fact that what we have to understand is a lot of people listen to us mm. and through us. And as we talk about these very sensitive issues, we don't always get it right, but we try to be respectful of each other's thoughts, beliefs, and agree to disagree. That's okay. But we don't have to say Bill is the other because he's a Republican and he's the evangelical. Odell's the other because he's a black Baptist or, you know, Rabbi, you're the other because you're Jewish. It's like, man, Come on, y'all. We can do better than that. We can do better than that. And I'm glad we are doing better than that. And I love both of you all. And it's more than just words. And I think that this community is better because of us looking at each other, not just the three of us. But I still remember that day when all the protests was over downtown and had some bad actors there. Mm -hmm. The two of you all came over to the Baptist church, one rabbi one evangelical pastor, that sounds like a joke when they go to the bar and you all came <laughs> over here to, to check on me. And I just want to say thank you for having enough worrying about me to come and check on me. And that, that meant a lot. In spite of everything you saw, in spite of all the media, the black people taking over the town and shutting down the highways, you all didn't buy into it. And for that, I want to say thank you both my brothers. You're welcome. Amen. Yeah. Always uh, learn with you always uh, and deepened and also always feel like we inch a little bit closer to God uh, when we have these conversations. Amen. Here. Amen. Well said. Bill, you're going to have to get me an American flag hat. Okay. Uh, I'll get you one. I actually have an American flag jacket. Oh, no, I ain't there yet. I love America, but I ain't wearing a flag around. You know, I'm wearing the flag at this point, though. But nothing's wrong. Nothing wrong with the flag. I just don't. It's not my wardrobe because, you know, too much swag for the flag. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, speaking of that, speaking of wardrobes, the three of us need to go down to the hat store downtown. Yeah. What do you think, Odell? We meet downtown for lunch one day. And I uh, think that would be great. Bill, the flag now is black and blue. So I'm assuming that that means something 
also, right? Oh, yeah. Police. So the police means, so Black Lives Matter spun Blue Lives Matter. So now we have a black and blue flag and a red, white, and blue flag. And does that mean one against the other? And we can't be both mutually exclusive? I don't think so. Josh? Not at all. Um, You know, right, too often, right, people are uh, just reacting, you know, not thinking. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's uh, wishful thinking, but I know where I know where Bill comes from. I, I say it's wishful thinking for everyone who puts the uh, the flag that's black with the blue on it to uh, to uh, say that, you know, there's some of the people who are saying blue lives matter. And that's as if it's a hierarchy and one is more important than the other. Um, and uh, maybe we can try to see that flag as being. A, a cherishing of both, you know, the black yeah. stripes and the blue stripes. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, having, uh, knowing a number of police officers who put their, their lives at, at risk and are, although it, not only that, but are also just day to day put under a lot of stress and pressure. I, I do have uh, obviously uh, support for them and want to help them, but um you know, as a country, we have a a burden that we have to take on, and that's much larger. And that's amen. Uh, amen. And you know, for the record, the majority of black people who I know don't want to defund the police because <laughs> if we defund the police, the majority of what's going to happen even more compact is the African American community. Moadim Lasimcha, I hope everyone is having a wonderful and a joyous Pesach. Memories, of course, are a huge part of our holidays. And one memory from Passover is very strongly in my mind right now. It's the memory of my older cousin reading from a Haggadah in his rabbinic voice, imitating the rabbi of his congregation. At the time, when I was younger, it brought me laughter. When I was in rabbinical school and leading seders as the responsible one for the first time, uh, it, it probably made me feel a little different, maybe a little judgy of that behavior. And now, with my own children, I feel totally different. It, feels, it makes me feel warm and connected to him in a totally different way. And that's how memory works. Every time we recall the memory, every time it comes back, it's changed by the circumstances in which we have it again. Whether it's with your children or whether it's with your grandchildren, those memories of ancestors, they get transformed. And they also get deepened every time we have that experience. And that is why Yizkor is such an important part of our tradition. We're able to recall memories of our loved ones, our dear ones, in a very special place and in a very unique way. In the midst of prayer and study, and more importantly, I think, community, surrounded by people that we love and we care about. So I hope to see you on Shabbat morning for our final day of Passover, and also for that important prayer for Yizkor, an opportunity to transform and deepen the memories of our loved ones that we cherish the most. Shabbat Shalom, Hag Sameach. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. 
Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.